0: Chapter 27 The door thudded shut behind them. Scarlet found herself in the immense foyer of the opera house, almost pitch black but for the warm, flickering candlelight beyond the arches. The lobby was full of silence and dust and chunks of broken marble along the floor. The dust clogged Scarlet's throat, and she struggled not to cough as she moved toward the light. Her footsteps were shockingly loud in the empty, hollow building, as she passed between two massive columns. She gasped. The light was coming from one of two statues that flanked a grand double staircase. It depicted two women draped in billowing fabric atop a pedestal, each holding aloft a bouquet of torches. Dozens of wax candles glowed and flickered, casting a haunting orange film over the lobby, The staircase, carved from red and white marble, was missing random balustrades, and a companion statue to the first was missing her head and the arm that had once held her own candelabra. Scarlet's foot splashed into a puddle and she drew back, first looking down at the broken marble floor, then up. Three stories of balconies rose above, and in their center, where the light barely reached, was a painted ceiling with a square window in its center. The window, it seemed, had long been missing. Hugging herself, Scarlet turned back to Wolf. He lingered between the columns. Maybe they're sleeping, she said, attempting nonchalance. Wolf peeled himself out of the shadows and prowled toward the staircase. His body was as tense as the statues that watched them scarlet's gaze darted over the railings above but she saw no movement no sign of life no garbage no smell of food no sound of talking or net screens even the sounds of the street had disappeared beyond the massive entry doors she clenched her jaw anger flaring up inside her at the sickening sensation of being trapped like a mouse to be preyed upon stomping past wolf She marched toward the stairs until her toes pressed against the first riser. Hello, she yelled, craning her head. You have visitors. Her words echoed back to her, harsh and defiant. No sound, no alarm. Then, from the silence, a familiar chime. Scarlet jumped at the sound that echoed between the marble pillars, despite being muffled within her pocket. Heart racing, she pulled out the port screen just as the computerized voice began to speak. Com received for Mademoiselle Scarlet Benoit from l'Hospital Joseph Dacuing in Toulouse. Scarlet blinked. A hospital? Hand shaking, she pulled up the com. Thirty August one two six T E. This communication is to inform Scarlet Benoit of Rio. France, EF, that at 5.09 on 30 August 126, Luc Armand Benoit of Paris, France, EF, was pronounced dead by on-staff medical practitioner ID number 58279, presumed cause of death, alcohol, poisoning. Please respond within 24 hours if you would like an autopsy to be performed for the cost of 40 500 units With sympathies, the staff of l'Hôpital Joseph Dakuing, Toulouse. Confusion reigned, her heart thumping erratically. The message didn't want to compute, her brain turning it over and over. She pictured him the last time she'd seen him, raving and tortured and afraid, how she'd screamed at him, told him she never wanted to see him again. How could he be dead, only 24 hours later? Shouldn't she have received a cum when he'd been admitted into the hospital? Shouldn't there have been a warning? Swaying on her feet, she peered up at Wolf. My dad's dead, she said, her whisper barely filling the enormous space. Alcohol poisoning. His jaw flexed. Are they sure about that? His suspicion was slow to filter through her encroaching numbness. You think they sent the calm by mistake? A touch of sympathy flickered in his eyes. No, Scarlet, but I do think he was in danger of something much worse than a fondness for drinking. She didn't understand. He'd been tortured, but the burn marks wouldn't have killed him. The insanity wouldn't have killed him. Through the fog in her brain, a gentle, caressing instinct told her to look up. So she did. Behind Wolf, framed by two pillars that held unlit sconces, was a man. He was willowy and lean, with wavy dark hair and near black eyes that burned in the candlelight. He would have had a pleasant smile if Scarlet hadn't been so startled. By his presence, his silence... The fact that Wolf did not seem surprised he was there, did not even bother to face him, though he undoubtedly felt him too. More terrifying than all that was his clothing. He wore a crimson red coat that flared at his waist and had long, bell-shaped sleeves. Gold-embroidered runes sparkled along the hems. It was almost like a child's costume, an imitation of the horrible lunar court. Fear thumped against Scarlet's ribcage. This was not a costume. This was the stuff of nightmares and horror stories told to keep children from misbehaving. A thaumaturge, a lunar thaumaturge. Hello, the man said, in a voice as sweet and smooth as melted caramel. You must be Mademoiselle Benoit. She stumbled back onto the first step, catching the rail for balance. In front of her, Wolf dipped his eyes and turned around. The man acknowledged him with a polite nod. Alpha Kesley, so glad you've made it back safely. And if I am to correctly understand the calm the lady just received, Beta Wynn's task in Toulouse must be finished as well. It seems we will soon be a full pack again. Wolf clamped a fist to his chest and gave a slight bow. I am glad to hear it, Master J. L. Gulping, Scarlet pushed her hip into the rail. No, she said, finding her voice on the second try. He brought me here to find my grandmother. He's not one of you anymore. The man's smile was warm and understanding. I see. I'm sure you are quite eager to see your grandmother. I hope to reunite you shortly scarlet clenched her fists where is she if you've heard her she is quite alive i assure you said the man without any change in expression he slid his attention back to wolf tell me alpha were you able to meet your objectives wolf lowered his hand to his side obedience hung from him like a thin absurd disguise a headache pounded at scarlet's temple Her nerves hummed as she waited, hoping and wishing he was going to tell this man that he'd left their ridiculous pack and he was never coming back. But the hope couldn't be entertained for long. It was being shucked off before Wolf even opened his mouth. This man was not a rebellious criminal, some member of a vigilante gang. If he was truly a thaumaturge, a real thaumaturge, standing before her, and he worked for the Lunar Crown. And Wolf? What did that make Wolf? I have questioned her to the best of my ability, Wolf said. She has a single, vague memory, but I doubt both its usefulness and its reliability. Time and stress seem to have had an effect on her recollections, and at this point, I have no doubt she would create falsehoods if she believed they would benefit her grandmother.' The thaumaturge tilted his chin up, considering him. Alpha Kesley. Scarlet's heart hammered against her collarbone, ready to choke her. I have questioned her to the best of my ability. Wolf! He did not turn to her, did not flinch or sigh or respond. He was a statue. He was a pawn. The thaumaturge made a sad sound. No matter... Then, after a silence in which Scarlet felt the stairs crumbling beneath her, he said, Omega Kesley was to inform you that our objectives have changed. Her Majesty is no longer concerned with identifying Celine." Wolf's fingers twitched. Nevertheless, it has become clear to me that Madame Benoit has not yet given up all her secrets. Perhaps we can find another use for this mademoiselle. Wolf's chin lifted just slightly. If she'd had any additional information she would have told me. I am sure her trust was complete. Scarlet half slumped onto the marble rail, grasping the base of the headless statue to keep from sinking to the ground. I'm sure you've done very well, said the Thaumaturge. Don't be alarmed, I will see that your efforts are given proper recognition. Who's Beta Wynne? said Scarlet. What was his task in Toulouse? Her voice was weak, filled with disbelief as she teetered on the stairs. She struggled to believe this was all a nightmare. Soon she would wake up on the train in Wolf's arms, and this would all happen very differently. But she did not wake up, and the thaumaturge was eyeing her with dark, sympathetic eyes. Beta Wynne's task was to kill your father in a manner that would not raise suspicions, he said, with no more reservation than if he were giving her the time of day. I did offer your father a chance. If he had found something useful on Madame Benoit's property, I think I truly would have considered letting him live, perhaps kept him as a slave. But he failed in the time we gave him, so I was forced to have him silenced. He knew too much about us, you see, and... He had served his usefulness. I'm afraid we have little tolerance for useless earthens. He grinned, the look twisting Scarlet's gut, not because it was a cruel smile, but because it was a kind one. You appear to be ill, mademoiselle. Perhaps you will need some rest before you're fit to see your grandmother. Rafe, Troya, won't you see the lady to her prepared room? They emerged from the shadows, two men who were nothing but blurs in Scarlet's consciousness. They lifted her by her elbows, not bothering with ties or cuffs. Her mind flashed, and before she knew it, she was reaching for her waistband. Wolf's hand was there first, one arm brushing against her side. Her breath caught, and she was frozen, staring wide-eyed into his face, his emerald eyes hollow as his fingers lifted the back of her sweatshirt and pulled out the gun. He was going to kill them. He was going to protect her. Flipping the gun around so that he gripped the barrel, Wolf held it out to one of her captors. When his severity melted, hinting at something like regret, Scarlet set her jaw. A loyal soldier to the order of the pack. She saw the pain in his gulp. No, lunar special operative. The room spun Lunar, he was lunar, he worked for them, he worked for the queen. Scarlet turned her head away and forced her legs to be strong, refusing to be carried away like a child as they guided her to another set of stairs, stairs that led down to the opera house's sublevels. She refused to give them the pleasure of a struggle. The thaumaturge's voice followed behind her, all benevolence. You have my leave to rest until sunset, Alpha Kesley. I can see that your trials have wearied you. Chapter 28 Kai paced the length of his office from door to desk, desk to door. Two days had passed since Lavana had issued her ultimatum. Find the cyborg girl, or she would attack. Time was running out, and every hour filled Kai with growing dread. He hadn't slept for over 48 hours, with the exception of five press conferences in which he still had nothing new to report, he hadn't left his office in that time either. Still, no sign of Lynn Cinder, no sign of Dr. Erland, like they'd simply vanished. (sighs) He pulled his hands back through his hair until his scalp stung. Lunars. The speaker on his desk hummed. Royal Android Nancy has requested entrance. Kai released his hair with a deflated groan. Nancy had been good to him the past few days, bringing vast amounts of tea and saying nothing when she took the still full but now cold cups back out hours later. She encouraged him to eat and reminded him when a press conference was coming up or that he'd neglected to return the Australian Governor General's comms. If it weren't for the title Royal Android Nancy, he almost would have expected a human to walk through the doors every time she was summoned. He wondered if his father had felt the same way towards his android assistants, Or maybe Kai was just delirious. Chewing away the unhelpful thoughts, he rounded to the back of his desk. Yes, enter. The door opened and Nancy's treads rolled across the carpet, She was not carrying the tray of snacks he'd expected. Your Majesty, a woman by the name of Lin Audrey and her daughter, Lin Pearl, have requested an immediate appointment. Lin J says she has important information on the lunar fugitive. I encouraged her to contact Chairman Hui, but she insisted she speak with you directly. I scanned her ID and she appears to be who she claims. I wasn't sure if I should turn her away. That's fine. Thank you, Nancy. Send her in. Nancy rolled back out. Kai glanced down at his shirt and buttoned the collar, but determined there was nothing he could do about the wrinkles. A moment later, two strangers entered his office. The first was a middle-aged woman with hair just beginning to gray, and the other was a teenage girl with thick hair that hung straight down her back. Kai frowned as the two bowed deeply before him, and it wasn't until the girl attempted a shy grin that he felt like an idiot for his exhaustion-muddled brain not picking up on their names when Nancy had first announced them. Lynn Audrey, Lynn Pearl. They were not entirely strangers. He'd seen the girl twice before, once at Cinder's booth at the market, then again at the ball. This was Cinder's stepsister, and the woman, the woman, his blood curdled with the memory of her, made worse by the almost bashful, girlish look she was giving him now. He had seen her at the ball, too, when she'd been about to strike Cinder for daring to attend in the first place. Your Majesty, said Nancy, returning behind them, may I introduce Lynn Audrey Jay and her daughter, Lynn Pearl May. They each bowed again. Yes, Hello said kai you are i was the legal guardian of Lin cinder said audrey please forgive the intrusion your imperial majesty i understand you are quite busy he cleared his throat wishing now he'd left the collar alone it was already strangling him please sit down he said gesturing to the sitting area around the holographic fire that will be all nancy thank you Kai moved to claim the chair, determined not to sit beside either of the women. They, in turn, perched straight-backed on the sofa so as not to crumple the bows on their kimono-style dresses, and folded their hands demurely atop their laps. The resemblance between the two was remarkable, and, of course, nothing at all like Cinder, whose skin had always been sun-darkened, whose hair was straighter and finer, and who had carried an understated confidence with her even when she was shy and stammering. Kai caught himself before he could smile at the memory of Cinder, shy and stammering. I'm afraid we were not formally introduced when our paths crossed at the ball last week, Lin Oh, your Imperial Majesty is too kind. Audrey, please. Truth be told, I am attempting to distance myself from the ward who now carries my husband's name, and you will, I am sure, remember my lovely daughter he turned his attention to Pearl. Yes, we met at the market. You had some packages you wished Cinder to store for you? He was glad the girl flushed, and he hoped she was remembering how rude she'd been that day. We also met at the ball, your majesty, said Pearl. We discussed my poor sister, my real sister, who recently fell ill and passed away from the same disease that claimed your illustrious father. Uh, yes, I recall. My condolences on your loss. He waited for the expected return of sympathy, but it did not come. The mother was too busy examining the office's lacquered woodwork. The daughter was too busy examining Kai with faux timidity. He tapped his fingers against the chair's arm. My android tells me you have information to impart regarding Lin Cinder. Yes, your majesty. Audrey drew her attention back to him. Thank you for seeing us on such short notice, but I do have some information that I think could be helpful in your search for my ward. As a concerned citizen, I of course want to do anything I can to assist with the search and ensure she is apprehended before she can do further damage. Of course you do, but forgive me, Lin I was under the impression you'd already been contacted and questioned by the authorities as part of the investigation. Oh, yes, we both spoke at length with some very nice men, said Audrey. But since then, something new has come to my attention. Kai settled his elbows on his knees. Your Majesty, I trust you are familiar with the recorded footage from the quarantines about two weeks ago in which a girl attacked two medroids. He nodded. Of course, the girl who spoke to Chang Sunto, the boy who recovered from the plague. Well, at the time, I was very distracted, having just lost my youngest daughter. But since then, I've taken a closer look at the video, and I'm convinced that the girl is Cinder. Kai's brow drew together, already replaying the video in his mind. The girl was never clearly seen. The recording was grainy and shaky, and only showed glimpses of her back. Really? he mused, trying not to sound speculative. What makes you think that? It's difficult to tell on the video itself, and I would not know for sure, except... I was having Cinder's ID tracked that day, as she'd been behaving suspiciously for some time. I know she was near the quarantines that day. Before, I'd thought she was merely attempting to run away from her household duties... But I now see that the little aberration had a much more sinister motive in mind. His eyebrows rose. Aberration? Audrey's cheeks tinted pink. Even that is too kind for her, Your Majesty. Are you aware that she can't even cry? Kai sat back. After a moment, he found that, rather than being disgusted as Audrey clearly expected, he was left merely curious, Really? Is that normal for... for cyborgs? I wouldn't know, Your Majesty. She is the first and, hopefully, the last cyborg I'll ever have the misfortune of knowing. I can't understand why we make cyborgs in the first place. They're dangerous and proud creatures, parading around like they think they're better than everyone else, like they deserve special treatment for their... eccentricities. They're nothing but a drain on our hard-working society. Collar beginning to itch, Kai cleared his throat. I see. You said something earlier about evidence that Cinder had been near the quarantines? And done something sinister? Yes, Your Majesty. If you'd be so kind as to refer to my ID page, you'll see I've uploaded a video that is rather incriminating. Kai unlatched his port screen from his belt, thinking about the footage from the quarantines as he searched for Audrey's page. The video was at the top, a low-quality image tagged with the symbol of the Commonwealth's law enforcement androids. What is this? When Cinder wouldn't respond to my comms that day, and I was sure she was fleeing the country, I enacted my right to have her forcibly retrieved. This is the footage from when they found her. Holding his breath, kai played the video it was shot from a hover car peering down on a dusty street surrounded by abandoned warehouses and there was cinder panting and angry she raised a clenched fist toward the android i didn't steal it it belongs to her family not to you or anyone else the camera shook as the hover landed and the android approached her scowling cinder took half a step back I haven't done anything wrong. That medroid was attacking me. It was self-defense. Kai watched, shoulders tense, as the android rambled on in its monotone voice about the rights of her legal guardian and the Cyborg Protection Act, until finally, Cinder assented to come with them, and the video ended. It took a mere four seconds for Kai to pull up the footage of the girl attacking the quarantine medroid, and his grip tightened around the device, as he fit the puzzle pieces together, he found himself feeling like a fool for the hundredth time that week. It made sense that it was Cinder. Of course it was Cinder. He had given the antidote just hours before to Dr. Erland, right in front of her. Erland must have passed it to her, and she then gave it to Chang Sunto. And though the cameras had never got a good shot of her, The hasty ponytail and baggy cargo pants matched her perfectly. Gulping, he shut off the video and reattached the port to his belt. What was she talking about that she didn't steal? What belongs to her family? Audrey set her mouth in a firm line, deep wrinkles cutting into her upper lip. Something that did indeed belong with her family. With those who would have given proper respect to the deceased and Cinder mutilated that which was once most precious to me in order to get it. She what? I believe she stole my daughter's ID chip, not minutes after her death. Audrey placed a hand on the swath of silk over her abdomen. It churns my stomach to think of, but I know I should have expected it. Cinder was always jealous of both my girls, and so spiteful. Although I could not have imagined her sinking to such a low before, now that I know her true nature, I cannot be surprised by it. She deserves to be found and punished for what she's done. Kai drew away from the venom in her tone, and couldn't connect her accusations to his own memories of Cinder. He thought of their paths crossing in the elevator, of her eyes filling with sadness as she spoke of her dying sister. How she'd asked if Kai would save a dance for her, in case she miraculously survived. Or was every memory he had of Cinder truly nothing more than a lunar trick? What did he know about her, really? Are you sure? The reports claimed that the weapon used against the androids was a scalpel, and it all happened just moments after I received the calm telling me that my daughter, my daughter, her jaw trembled, her knuckles whitening in her lap, And I can just see her trying to take Peony's identity in that inhuman head of hers, she grimaced. It chills me to think, but it is precisely something she would have done. And you think she could still have the ID chip with her? That, Your Majesty, I cannot say, but it is a possibility. With a nod, Kai stood. Audrey and Pearl gawked up at him, mute, before bolting to their own feet. Thank you for bringing this to my attention, Lin i I'll have a tracker set up for the ID immediately. If she has the chip, we will find her. Even as he spoke, he found himself pleading to the stars that Lin Audrey was wrong. That Cinder had not taken the ID chip. But that was a stupid wish, an immature wish. He had to find her. And he had only one more day to do it. He had no desire to find out what Lavana would do if he failed. Thank you, your majesty, said Audrey. I only want to know that my daughter's memory won't be tarnished because I was once so generous as to allow that awful girl into my family. Thank you, he started. Not sure what he was thanking her for, but it seemed the right thing to say. If we have any further questions, I'll have someone contact you. Yes, of course, your majesty. Audrey said with a bow. I only wish to do well by my country and see this horrid girl brought to justice. Kai listed his head. You do realize that once she's found, Queen Levana intends to have her executed, don't you? Audrey folded her hands prettily before her. I am sure the law is there for a reason, your majesty. Pursing his lips, Kai stepped away from the sitting area and led them toward the door. After two more bows apiece, Pearl glided out of the room with lashes fluttering at Kai until her neck could no longer crane toward him. But Audrey paused in the doorway, bowed one more time. It was such an honor, your majesty. He smiled tautly back. I do wonder, not that this matters one little bit, but only as a matter of curiosity, should this lead to any discoveries in the investigation, might I be able to expect any sort of reward for my assistance? Chapter 29 Scarlet's prison cell had begun life as a dressing room. The vague outlines of mirrors and vanities were burned into the walls, and the strips of light bulbs that had surrounded them had been reduced to empty sockets. The carpet had been pulled up, revealing cold stone beneath and the solid oak door had been taken off its hinges and left abandoned in the corner, replaced instead with welded iron bars and an ID-sensitive lock. Scarlet's fury had kept her pacing and storming about the room, kicking the walls and growling at the bars, for all night and most of the day. At least, it seemed like nearly a full day had passed. It seemed like months had passed. But being trapped in the opera house's sublevel meant she had no indication of time, other than the two meals that had been brought to her. The soldier who had made the delivery said nothing when she asked how long they were going to keep her there or demanded to see her grandmother immediately, only smirked at her through the bars in a way that made her skin crawl. She had finally collapsed on the blanketless mattress, physically exhausted. She glared at the ceiling, hating herself, hating these men that kept her prisoner, hating Wolf. She gnashed her teeth and dug her fingernails into the worn, broken mattress. Alpha Kessley. If she ever saw him again, she would scratch his eyes out. She would throttle him until his lips turned blue. She would- Finally wore yourself out? She jerked upward. One of the men who had first brought her to the cell stood on the other side. Rafe or Troya, she didn't know which. I'm not hungry, she spat. He sneered every last one of them seemed to carry that same humorless smile, like it had been bred into them. I'm not offering food, he said, and swiped his wrist past the scanner. Grasping the bars, he lugged the door open. I'm taking you to see your precious grandmère." Scarlet scrambled off the mattress, all exhaustion flooding away. Really? Those are my orders, Am I going to have to bind you, or do you intend to come willingly? I'll come, just take me to her. His gaze dipped over her, evidently determining she didn't pose a threat. He stepped back and gestured toward the long, dim corridor. Then after you. As soon as she stepped into the hallway, he grasped her wrist and lowered his face so that his breath steamed against her neck. Do anything stupid, and I'll take my displeasure out on the old hag do you understand she shuddered without waiting for a response he released her and nudged her between her shoulder blades prodding her down the hallway her heart raced she was near delirium with fatigue and the promise of seeing her grandmother but it didn't keep her from scoping out her prison half a dozen barred doorways lined this basement corridor all dark the man urged her around a corner up a thin stairwell through a doorway they were backstage. Dusty old props filled the rafters and black curtains hung like phantoms in the darkness. The only light came from runners along the aisles and the audience, and Scarlet had to squint as the soldier led her out onto the stage, then down the steps into the empty audience. An entire section of seats had been removed, leaving holes where they'd once been bolted to the sloped floor. Another group of soldiers was standing there in the shadows, like they'd been having a jovial conversation before scarlet and her captor had interrupted them scarlet kept her eyes firmly glued to the end of the aisle she didn't think any of them were wolf but she didn't want to know if she was wrong they reached the back of the theater and scarlet pushed open one of the huge doors they were on a balcony overlooking the lobby and the grand staircase still no sunlight came through the hole in the ceiling clearly she'd missed the whole day Her captor grabbed her elbow, pulling her away from the stairs, past more haunting statues of cherubs and angels. She yanked her arm from his grip and tried to commit their journey to memory, creating a blueprint of the opera house in her mind. But it was difficult when she knew that she was going to see her grandmother. Finally. The thought of being held by these monsters for nearly three long weeks curdled her stomach. He guided her up a staircase to the first balcony and continued to the second. Closed doors led back into the theater, to the higher tiers of seats, but the soldier bypassed them and moved to another hallway. Finally, he stopped before a closed door, grasped the handle, and shoved it open. They had reached one of the private balconies that overlooked the stage, holding only four red velvet chairs in two rows. Her grandma was sitting alone in the front row, her thick gray braid dangling over the back of the seat. The tears Scarlet had been fighting for so long came at her in a rush. Grandmere! Her grandma started, but Scarlet was already barreling toward her. She collapsed to her knees in the space between the chairs and the railing and draped herself over her grandma's lap, crying into her jeans, the same dirt-covered jeans she always gardened in the familiar aroma of dirt and hay peeled up from the fabric, making Scarlet cry harder. Scarlet, what are you doing here? Her grandma asked, settling her hands down on Scarlet's back. She sounded stern and angry, but not unkind. Stop that. You're making a fool of yourself. She pulled Scarlet off her lap. There, there. Calm down. What are you doing here? scarlet sat back on her heels and stared bleary-eyed into her grandma's face bloodshot eyes belied her exhaustion no matter how her jaw was set she was on the verge of crying too but hadn't yet succumbed to the tears scarlet took her hands squeezing them her grandmother's hands were soft as if three weeks away from the farm had rubbed away years of calluses i came for you she said after Dad told me what happened, what they were doing to you, I had to come find you. Are you all right? Are you hurt? I'm fine, I'm fine, she rubbed her thumbs over Scarlet's knuckles. But I don't like seeing you here. You shouldn't have come. These men, they, uh, you shouldn't be here. It's dangerous. I'm going to get us both out of here, I promise. Stars, I missed you so much. Sobbing, she pressed her forehead to their entwined fingers, ignoring the hot tears that dripped off her jaw. I found you, Grandmere. i I found you. Slipping one hand out of Scarlet's grip, her grandma brushed a cluster of messy curls off Scarlet's brow. I knew you would. I knew you would come. Here, sit down next to me. Stifling the tears, Scarlet pulled herself off her grandma's lap. A tray sat on the seat beside her grandma. Holding a cup of tea, half a baguette, and a small bowl of red grapes that seemed untouched. Her grandma took the tray and held it out to the soldier in the doorway. His lips curled, but he took the tray and left, letting the door shut behind him. Scarlet's heart expanded. She did not hear a lock being put on the door. They were alone. Sit here, Scarlet. I've missed you so much, but I'm so angry with you. You shouldn't have come. It's too dangerous. But now that you're here, oh darling, you're exhausted. Grandmere, don't they monitor you? Aren't they afraid you'll escape? The old woman's face softened, and she pet the empty chair. Of course they monitor me. We are never truly alone. Scarlet considered the wall that separated them from the next private balcony, covered in flaking red wallpaper. Perhaps someone was there now, listening to them or the group of soldiers she'd seen down in the first floor audience. If their senses were nearly as attuned as wolves, they could probably hear them even from down there. Ignoring the urge to screen obscenities across the void, she lifted herself into the chair and reached for her grandma's hands again, holding them tight. Soft as they may have become, they were also deathly cold. You're sure you're all right? They haven't hurt you? Her grandma smiled, wearily, They haven't hurt me. Not yet. Although, I don't know what they have planned. I don't trust them a hair. Not after what they did to Luke. And they've mentioned you. I was terrified that they would go after you too, darling. I wish you hadn't come. I should have been more prepared for this. I should have known this would happen. But what do they want? Her grandma dragged her attention down to the dark stage. They want information that I can't give them. Though I would in a heartbeat if I could. I would have weeks ago. Anything to come home to you. Anything to keep you safe. Information about what? Her grandma took in a slow breath. They want to know about Princess Celine. Scarlet's pulse skipped. Is it true, then? Do you really know something about her? Her grandma's eyebrows jumped upward. Have they told you why, then? Why they suspect me? She nodded, feeling guilty for knowing the secret her grandma had so long harbored. They told me about Logan Tanner, how they think he brought Selene to Earth, and how he may have sought out your help. They told me they think he's my... my grandfather. The wrinkles on her grandma's forehead deepened, and she cast a concerned look at the wall behind Scarlet, toward the other balcony, before drawing her attention back. "'Scarlet, my love,' her expression was gentle, but she didn't continue. Scarlet gulped, wondering if, after all these years, her grandma couldn't stand to dig up the past, the romance that had been so brief, but had been clinging to her for so long. Did she even know that Logan Tanner was dead? Grandmère, I remember the man that came to the house, the man from the Eastern Commonwealth.' her grandma tilted her head up patient i thought he was coming to take me away but he wasn't was he you two were talking about the princess very good scarlet dear why don't you just tell them his name you must remember what it was and then they could go to him won't he know where the princess is they no longer want to know about the princess she bit down on her lip frustration welled up inside her she was shaking Then why don't they just let us go? Her grandma squeezed Scarlet's fingers. Years of pulling weeds and chopping vegetables had made them strong, despite their age. They can't control me, Scarlet. She scrutinized her grandma's lined face. What do you mean? They're Lunar, the thaumaturge. He has the Lunar gift, but it doesn't work on me. That's why they're keeping me here. They want to know why. Scarlet grasped for figments in her mind. All those bits and pieces she'd learned about Lunars. Impossible ever to tell which were true and which were exaggerated tales. It was believed that their queen ruled through mind control and that her thaumaturges were almost as strong as she was. That they could manipulate people's thoughts and emotions. That they could even control people's bodies if they chose. Like puppets on strings. Scarlet gulped. Are there a lot of people who can't be... Controlled? Very few. Some lunars are born that way. They call them shells. But they've never known an earthen who could resist before. I'm the first. How? Is it genetic? She hesitated. Can I be controlled? Oh, yes, dear. Whatever makes me like this, you do not have it. They'll use that against us, mark my words. I imagine they'll want to experiment on us both as they attempt to find out where this abnormality comes from, whether or not they should be worried about other earthens being able to resist them as well. In this darkness, her grandmother's jaw hardened. It must not be hereditary. Your father was weak also. Scarlet was lost in warm brown eyes that had always been soothing, and yet struck her as harsh now in the darkness of the theater Something gnawed at the back of her thoughts, the faintest suspicion. Her father was weak, weak for women, weak for booze, a weak father, a weak man. But her grandmother had never suggested she could think the same of Scarlet. You'll be fine, she always said, after a skinned knee, after a broken arm, after her first youthful heartbreak. You'll be fine because you're strong, like me. Heart-thumping, Scarlet lowered her gaze to their intertwined fingers. Her grandmother's very wrinkled, very frail, very soft hands. Her chest constricted. Lunars could manipulate people's thoughts and emotions, manipulate the way they experienced the very world around them. Gulping, Scarlet pulled away, Her grandma's fingers clenched in a brief effort to restrict her, but then let go. Scarlet staggered out of her seat and backed against the rail, staring at her grandmother. The familiar unkempt hair and its always crooked braid, the familiar eyes growing colder as they peered up at her, growing wider. She blinked rapidly against the hallucination, and her grandmother's hands grew larger. Repulsion ripped through Scarlet. She gripped the railing to hold herself steady. Who are you? The door at the back of the balcony opened, but instead of her guard, Scarlet saw the thaumaturge's silhouette in the hallway. Very well, Omega. We have learned as much as we can from her. Scarlet faced her grandmother again. A startled cry was wrenched out of her. Her grandmother was gone, replaced by Wolf's brother. Omega ran Kesley, sat staring up at her, perfectly at ease he wore the same shirt she'd seen him in last wrinkled and flecked with dry mud hello dear how nice to see you again scarlet glared up at the thaumaturge she could make out the whites of his eyes the draping of his fancy tunic where is she she is alive for now and unfortunately remains a mystery he squinted at scarlet Her mind remains impenetrable, but whatever her secret is, she has not passed it on to her son or her grandchild. I would think if it was a mental trick she were using, she would have at least tried to teach it to you, if not to that pathetic drunkard. And yet, if it is genetic, could it be a random trait, or is there a shell in your ancestry? He touched a finger to his lips, analyzing Scarlet like a frog he was about to dissect. Perhaps you won't be entirely useless, though. I wonder how lubricated the old lady's tongue would become if she were to watch as you hammered needles into your own flesh. Fury clawed up her throat, and Scarlet hurled herself at him with a ragged cry, nails scratching at his face. She froze with her fingertips millimeters from his eye sockets, the fury draining away all at once as she collapsed, sobbing uncontrollably on the floor, wondering what was wrong with her. She reached for her hatred again, but it slipped continuously from her mind, like trying to hold on to an eel. The harder she tried, the faster and harder the tears came, choking her, blinding her, all her anger dissolving into hopelessness and misery. Her head filled with self-loathing. She was useless, weak, and stupid, and insignificant. She folded in on herself, her cries nearly drowning out the thaumaturge's unimpressed chuckle above her. How unfortunate your grandmother hasn't been so easy to manipulate. It would make all this so much simpler. Her mind hushed, the destructive words slipping back to a far, quiet corner of her thoughts, and the tears faded away with them, like turning a faucet on and off, like toying with a puppet. Scarlet lay crumpled on the floor, gasping, she swiped the mucus from her face, digging her hands into the carpet. She forced her body to stop trembling and pushed herself up, using the door jamb for support. The thaumaturge's face twisted in that sickeningly charming way he had. I'll have you escorted back to your quarters, he said, his tone all syrupy kindness. Thank you most humbly for your cooperation. Chapter 30 Alpha Zaev Kesley's hard soled boots clipped harsh against the marble floor as he marched through the lobby, ignoring a handful of soldiers that nodded to him in respect, or perhaps fear. Perhaps even curiosity at the officer who had spent weeks out in the midst of humans, pretending to be one of them. He tried not to think of it. Being back at the headquarters felt like he'd awoken from a dream. A dream that had once sounded like a nightmare but not quite so anymore. He had woken up to a reality much darker. He had remembered who he really was, what he really was. He reached the lunar rotunda, an ironic name that had pleased Master J.L. greatly. He passed a mirror, pocked and darkened with age, almost not recognizing his reflection with its clean uniform and hair combed neatly back. He snatched his gaze away. He smelled his brother as soon as he stepped into the library, and the hairs on his neck prickled. His pace faltered briefly as he made his way through the wood-paneled gallery and into the thaumaturge's private office. It had once been suited for royalty, a room for important, high-society earthens to muse over the philosophical works of their ancestors. Display cases had once held priceless art and bookshelves climbed two stories over his head. But the books were all gone now, rescued when the opera house had been taken over by the military and a musty mildew scent had settled into the pores of the surrounding wood jael was seated at a wide desk made of plastic and metal it stood stark and dull against the extravagant decor ran was there too leaning against the wall of empty shelves his brother smiled almost jael stood Alpha Kesley, thank you for coming at such short notice. I wanted you to be the first to know your brother had made it back safely. I'm glad to see it, he said. Hello, Ren. You were not looking too well last I saw you. Likewise, Zaev, your smell is much improved now that you've washed the human off. Every muscle tightened. I hope there are no hard feelings about what happened in the forest. Not at all, you were playing a role. I understand you did what you had to do. I should not have interfered. No, you shouldn't have. Ran hooked his thumbs over the wide sash around his waist. I was worried about you, brother. You seemed almost confused. As you said, said Zayev, tilting his chin up. I was playing a role. Yes, I should never have doubted you. Nonetheless, it is nice to see you return to your normal self, and that her bullet didn't go deeper. I'd worried when I heard it go off that she may have hit your heart. Ran grinned and turned back to Jael. If we are through here, I'd like to request permission to report to command. Permission granted, said Jael, nodding as Ran saluted him, a fist to his chest. Zaev caught a trace of scarlet scent on Ran as he brushed past, and his stomach squeezed. He urged his body to relax, burying the animal instinct to tear out his brother's throat if he found he'd laid one finger on her. Ran listed his head, expression darkening with a withheld secret. Welcome home, brother. Zaev remained expressionless as Ran continued on, waiting until he heard the door close at the other end of the gallery. He saluted the thaumaturge. If there's nothing else. Actually, there is something else. A few things, actually, that I wish to discuss with you. Jael sank back into his seat. I received a calm from Her Majesty this morning. She's asked that all packs stationed on Earth be prepared to attack tomorrow. His jaw tightened. Tomorrow? Her negotiations with the Eastern Commonwealth have not gone according to her desires, and she's quite finished offering compromises that they refuse to accept. She has offered a temporary continuation of peace, should the cyborg girl, Lynn Cinder, be captured and handed over to her. But that has not happened. The attack will be centered in New Beijing, beginning at midnight their local time. We will attack at 1800. He tucked his hands into his wide crimson sleeves, their embroidered runes catching the light of self-sustained bulbs overhead. I'm glad you've returned in time to lead your men. I want you positioned at the heart of our Paris attack. Will you accept this role? Zaev clasped his hands behind his back, gripping his wrists until they ached. I do not wish to question Her Majesty's motives, but... I cannot understand why she is calling us away from our initial objective of finding the princess in order to teach a petty lesson to the Commonwealth. Why the change of priorities? Jael leaned back, studying him. It is not for you to question Her Majesty's priorities. However, I would hate for your mind to be clouded as we head into this important first battle, he shrugged she is enraged with the escape of this Lynn Cinder. Though she may be a mere civilian, she was able to see beyond her majesty's glamour, and yet, she is not a shell. Zaev couldn't keep the surprise from his face. We are not sure yet if this unusual ability is due to something in her cyborg programming, or if her own lunar gift is exceptionally strong. Stronger than her majesty's? We do not know. J.L. sighed. What is strange is that this ability of hers to resist our queen is not unlike Madame Benoit's ability to resist me. To find two non-shells with the same skill in such a short period of time is quite remarkable. Unfortunately, I am no closer to determining the reason for Michelle Benoit's ability. I tested her granddaughter an hour ago. She is as malleable as clay." so she has not inherited the trait. Behind his back, Alpha Kesley's fists clenched. Still, he couldn't shake her scent from the room, the faintest breath of her dancing beneath his nostrils. So Jael had questioned her, and Ran must have been there too. What had they done? Had she been hurt? Alpha? Yes, he said quickly. I apologize, I thought I sensed the girl. Jael started to laugh, a clear, amused laugh. It was Jael's peculiar warmth that Zaev had always distrusted most. At least the other thaumaturges made no pretense of their ruthlessness, their haughty control of the lesser lunar citizens, and of their soldiers. Your senses are remarkable, Alpha. Without doubt, one of our best. He tapped at his chair before pushing himself up. And your strength of character is unequaled, your loyalty, your willingness to make sacrifices. I'm sure none of my other men would have gone to the lengths you did to obtain information from Miss Benoit, gone so above the call of duty. That is precisely why I've chosen you to lead tomorrow's attack. J.L. paced to the row of shelves and ran a finger along them, dust collecting pale and gray against his skin, Zayev kept his expression blank, trying not to think what sacrifices Jael thought he had made, so far above the call of duty. But she was there in his mind, the pad of her thumb brushing against his scars, her arms wrapping around his neck. He swallowed hard. Every muscle drew tight against his bones in an effort to block out the memory. Now it's only a question of what to do with the girl, how frustrating that we finally find someone who might lead us closer to Princess Celine, just when we no longer have use of the information. Zaev's fingernails bit into his palms. Frustrating seemed laughable. If Her Majesty had changed her focus away from the princess three weeks ago, Scarlet and her grandmother never would have been involved in any of it. And he never would have known the difference. A clamp squeezed in on his chest. But I am optimistic, Jael continued, speaking absently. We may still find a use for the girl, if she can persuade her grandmother to talk. The madame tries to play at ignorance, but she knows why she is able to resist control, I'm sure of it. He fidgeted with the cuff of his sleeve. Which do you suppose will be more important to the old lady? Her granddaughter's life, or her own secrets? Zaev had no response. I guess we will see, said Jael, returning to his desk. At least now I'll have some power over her. His lips parted, showing perfect white teeth and a pleasant smile. You still have not answered my question, Alpha. Will you accept the role of leading our most important battle in the European Federation? Zaev's lungs burned. He wanted to ask more, to know more about Scarlet, her grandmother, what Jael would do to her but the questions would not be acceptable. His mission was complete. He no longer had any tie to Mademoiselle Benoit. He clasped a fist to his chest. Of course, Master Jael, it would be an honor. Good. Opening a drawer, Jael pulled out a plain white box and slid it across the desk. On that, we've just received this shipment of ID chips from the Paris Quarantines. I hope it won't be too out of your way to take them down for wiping and reprogramming. I want them to be ready for the new recruits I expect to arrive tomorrow morning. He tilted back in his chair. We will want as many soldiers available as we can manage. It is imperative that the people of Earth be too terrified to even consider fighting back. Chapter 31 Cinder peered out of the cockpit window at a crop of leafy plants. The field stretched out in every direction, the view of the flat horizon broken only by a stone farmhouse nearly a mile away. A house, a lot of vegetables, and a giant spaceship. This isn't conspicuous at all. At least we're in the middle of nowhere, said Thorne, peeling himself out of the pilot's seat and sliding on his leather jacket. If anyone calls the police, it will take them a while to get here. Unless they're already on their way, Cinder muttered. Her heart had been drumming throughout their eons-long descent down to Earth, her brain skimming over a thousand different fates that could await them. Though she'd kept up the ridiculous chanting as long as she could, they still had no way of knowing how effective she was being, and she still had the sinking feeling that her attempts to disguise their ship using lunar magic was pathetically futile. She couldn't understand how she could manipulate radars and radio waves with nothing but her own muddled thoughts. Nevertheless, the fact remained that no one had discovered them in space, and so far their luck was holding. Benoit farms and gardens appeared to be wholly deserted. The ramp began to lower off the cargo bay, and Iko chirped, You two go off and have fun now. I'll be sitting here, by myself, all alone, checking for radar interference and running diagnostics. It's going to be fantastic. You're getting really good at your sarcasm, said Cinder, joining Thorn at the top of the ramp as it smashed a very fine row of hardy foliage. Thorn squinted at the glare on his port screen. Bingo, he said pointing at the two-story house that had to be old enough to have survived the Fourth World War. She's here. Bring me back a souvenir, Iko yelled as Thorn stomped down into the field. The ground was soggy from a recent watering, and mud clung to the hem of his pants as he cut through the crop, making his own direct route to the house. Cinder followed, drinking in the wide-open farmland and the fresh air so sweet after being locked up inside the Rampian's recycled oxygen. Even with her audio interface turned off, it was the deepest silence she'd ever experienced. It's so quiet here. Creepy, isn't it? I don't know how people can stand it. I think it's kind of nice. Yeah, like a morgue is nice. A cluster of smaller buildings were thrown haphazardly throughout the fields, a barn, a chicken coop, a shed, a hangar big enough to house a number of hovers or even a spaceship, though not one as big as the Rampian. Cinder drew up short when she spotted it. She frowned, stretching for the gossamer memory that seemed to recognize the hangar. Wait, Thorn turned back to her. Did you see someone? Without answering, she changed direction, squishing through the mud. Thorn trailed after her, silent as Cinder shoved open the hangar's door. I'm not sure that breaking into Michel Benoit's outbuildings is the best way to introduce ourselves. Cinder glanced back, scanning the house's empty windows. I need to see something, she said, and stepped inside. Lights on. The lights flickered to life, and she gasped at the sight before her tools and parts, screws and bolts, clothes and grimy shop rags, all flung haphazardly around the space. Every cabinet hung open, every storage crate and toolbox had been tipped over. The glossy white floor could hardly be seen beneath the mess. On the other side of the hangar, a small delivery ship sat with its back window busted out. Shards of glass glittered beneath the blazing lights. The hangar smelled of spilled fuel and toxic fumes, and a little bit like Cinder's market booth. What a sty, said Thorne, disgusted. I'm not sure I can trust a pilot with such little respect for her ship. Cinder ignored him, busy sending her scanner over the shelves and walls. Despite the distraction of the chaos, her brain machine interface was picking up on something a general impression of familiarity, tinges of a long lost memory, the way the sun angled in from the door, the combined smells of machinery and manure the crisscrossed pattern of the exposed trusses. She paced across the concrete, crunching through the debris. She moved slowly, lest the ghost of familiarity vanish. Uh, cinder? said Thorne, glancing back toward the farm. What are we doing here? Looking for something. In this mess? Good luck with that. She found a small plot of empty concrete installed, thinking, examining knowing she'd been there before, in a dream, in a daze. She noticed a thin metal cabinet painted a putrid brown, where three jackets hung on a rod. They all had insignias from the EF military embroidered on their sleeves. Squaring her shoulders, Cinder picked her way toward it and pushed the jackets to the side. Really, Cinder, said Thorne, coming up beside her. This is not the time to be worried about a change of clothes cinder barely heard him over the ticking in her head the mess was no coincidence someone had been there and they'd been looking for something they'd been looking for her she wished the realization hadn't struck but there was no dismissing it crouching in the front of the cabinet she slid her hand against the back corner until it brushed against the handle she'd known would be there painted the same color brown it was invisible in the shadows It would never be noticed unless a person knew to look. And she knew, because she'd been there. Five years ago, in a state of drugged-up delirium that she'd always mistaken for a dream, she'd emerged in this spot, every joint and muscle aching from the recent surgeries, crawling slowly out of endless darkness and blinking, as if for the first time, into a dizzily bright world cinder braced herself against the cabinet and pulled the secret door was heavier than she'd expected made of something much sturdier than tin she heaved it up on hidden hinges and let it slam down on the concrete floor a cloud of dust billowed up on all sides a square hole gaped up at them a ladder of plastic rungs was drilled into the foundation leading to a secret sublevel. Thorne bent over planting his hands on his knees How did you know that was there? Cinder couldn't tear her gaze away from the hidden passageway. Unable to voice the truth, she said simply, cyborg vision. She descended first, releasing her flashlight as she was hit with thick, stale air. The beam bounced around a room as big as the hangar above, with no doors and no windows. Almost afraid to know what she'd just stumbled into, she tentatively ventured. Lights on. She heard the sound of an independent generator click on first, before three long overhead fluorescents gradually brightened, one after another. Thorne's shoes thumped on the hard floor as he skipped the last four rungs of the ladder. He spun around and froze. What? What is this? Cinder couldn't answer. She could barely breathe. A tank sat in the center of the room, about two meters long with a domed glass lid. A collection of complex machines stood around it. Life monitors, temperature gauges, bioelectricity scanners. Machines with dials and tubes, needles and screens, plugs and controls. A long operating table against the far wall held an array of movable lights sprouting from each end like a metal octopus. And beside it, a small rolling table with a near-empty jug of sterilizer and an assortment of surgical tools—scalpels, syringes, bandages, face masks, towels. On the wall were two blank net screens. As much as that side of the secret chamber imitated an operating room, the opposite side more closely resembled Cinder's workshop in the basement of Audrey's apartment building, complete with screwdrivers— fuse pullers, and a soldering iron. Discarded android parts and computer chips, an unfinished three-fingered cyborg hand. Cinder shuddered, chilled from the air that smelled like both a sterile hospital room and a damp underground cave. Thorn crept toward the tank. It was empty, but the vague imprint of a child could be seen in the goo-like lining beneath the glass dome. What's this? Cinder went to fidget with her glove before remembering that it wasn't there. A suspended animation tank, she said, whispering as if the ghosts of unknown surgeons could be listening. Designed to keep someone alive, but unconscious for long periods of time. Aren't those illegal? Overpopulation laws or something? Cinder nodded. Nearing the tank, she pressed her fingers to the glass, and tried to remember waking up here, but she couldn't. Only addled memories of the hangar and the farm came back to her. Nothing about this dungeon. She hadn't been fully conscious until she'd been en route to New Beijing, ready to start her new life as a scared, confused orphan, and a cyborg. The girl's outline in the goo seemed too small to have ever been hers, but she knew it was. The left leg appeared to have been significantly heavier than the right. She wondered how long she had lain there without any leg at all. What do you suppose it's doing down here? Cinder licked her lips. I think it was hiding a princess. Chapter 32 Cinder's feet were cemented to the ground as she took in the underground room, She couldn't shake the vision of her 11-year-old self lying on that operating table as unknown surgeons cut and sewed and pieced her body together with foreign steel limbs. Wires in her brain, optobionics behind her retinas, synthetic tissues in her heart, new vertebrae, grafted skin to cover the scar tissue. How long had it taken? How long had she been unconscious, sleeping in this dark cellar? Lavana had tried to kill her when she was only three years old. Her operation had been completed when she was 11. Eight years, in a tank, sleeping and dreaming and growing. Not dead, but not alive either. She peered down into the imprint of her own head beneath the tank's glass, Hundreds of tiny wires with neural transmitters were attached to the walls, and a small net screen was implanted on the side. No, not a net screen, Cinder realized. No net access could infiltrate this room. Nothing that could ever get back to Queen Levana. I don't get it, said Thorn, examining the surgical tools on the other side of the room. What do you think they did to her down here? She peered up at the captain, but there was no suspicion on his face, only curiosity. Well, she started, programmed and implanted her ID chip, for starters. Thorn shook the scalpel at her. Good thinking. Of course, she wouldn't have had her own when she came to Earth. He gestured at the tank. What about all that? Cinder gripped the tank's edges to steady her hands. Her burns would have been severe, even life-threatening, Their priority would have been keeping her alive, and also keeping her hidden. Suspended animation would solve both problems. She tapped a finger on the glass. These transmitters would have been used to stimulate her brain while she was sleeping. She couldn't receive life experience or learn like a normal child, so they had to make up for it with fake learning, fake experiences. She bit her lip, silencing herself before she mentioned the netlink they planted in the princess's brain that made for an efficient way to learn when she was finally awake, without being any the wiser that she should have known these things anyway. It was easy to talk about the princess as if she were someone else. Cinder couldn't stop thinking that she was someone else. The girl who had slept in this tank was someone different from the cyborg that had woken up in it. It occurred to Cinder with a jolt that this was why she had no memories, not because the surgeons had damaged her brain while inserting her control panel, but because she had never been awake to make memories in the first place. If she thought back, could she grasp something from before the coma, something from her childhood? And then she recalled her recurring dream, the bed of coals, the fire burning off her skin, and realized it may have been more memory than nightmare. Screen on. Both screens over the operating table brightened at Thorn's command. The one on the left output a holograph of a torso from the shoulders up, spinning and flickering in the air. Cinder's heart jolted, thinking it was her, until she took in the second screen. Patient, Michelle Benoit. Operation, spinal and nervous system. Bioelectricity, security, block. Prototype, 4.6. Status, complete. Cinder approached the holograph. The shoulders were slender and feminine, but nothing could be seen above the line of her jaw. What's a bioelectricity security block? Cinder pointed at the holograph as it spun away from her, and a dark square spot appeared on the spine, just beneath her skull. This, I had one implanted too, so I wouldn't accidentally use my lunar gift when I was growing up. In an earthen, it makes it so you can't be brainwashed by lunars. If Michelle Benoit did have information about Princess Celine, she would have had to protect herself in case she ever fell into lunar hands. If we have the technology to nullify the lunar's craziness, why doesn't everyone have one of these? A wave of sadness washed over her. Her stepfather, Lynn Garin, had invented the bioelectricity block, but he'd died of the plague before seeing it past the prototype stage. Though she'd barely known him, she couldn't help feeling that his life had been cut far too short. How different things could have been if he'd survived, not only for Pearl and Peony, but for Cinder, too. She sighed, tired of thinking, and said simply, I don't know why. Thorn grunted. Well, this proves it, doesn't it? The princess really was here. Cinder scanned the room again, her attention catching on the table of mechanics, the tools that had made her cyborg. Thorne either hadn't noticed them or hadn't yet figured out what they would have been used for. A confession settled on the tip of her tongue. Maybe he should know. If she was going to be stuck with him, he deserved to know who he was traveling with, the true danger she'd put him in. But before she could speak, he said, Screen, show Princess Selene. Cinder spun back around, pulse rushing. But it was not an 11-year-old version of herself that greeted her. What she saw was hardly recognizable as human at all. Thorn stumbled back, clapping a hand to his mouth. What the? Cinder's stomach heaved once before she shut her eyes, tempering the revulsion. She swallowed hard and dared to look at the screen again. It was the photo of a child, what was left of a child, She was wrapped in bandages from her neck to the stump of her left thigh. Her right arm and shoulder were uncovered, showing the skin that was gouged bloody red in spots, bright pink and glossy in others. She had no hair, and the burn marks continued up her neck and across her cheek. The left side of her face was swollen and disfigured. Only the slit of her eye could be seen, and a line of stitches ran along her earlobe before cutting across to her lips. Cinder raised trembling fingers to her mouth, smoothing them over the skin. There was no scar, no sign of these wounds. Only some scar tissue around her thigh and wrist where the prosthesis had been attached. How had they fixed her? How could they possibly fix this? But it was Thorn who asked the true question. Who would do this to a child? Goosebumps covered Cinder's skin. There was no memory of the suffering those burns must have caused her. She couldn't connect the child with herself. But Thorne's question lingered, haunting the cold room. Queen Levana had done this. To a child, barely more than a baby. To her own niece. And all so she could rule. So she could claim the throne. So she would be queen. Cinder clenched her fists at her sides, her blood boiling. Thorn was watching her, his expression equally dark. We should go talk to Michel Benoit, he said, setting down the scalpel. Cinder blew a strand of hair out of her face. The ghost of her child self lingered in the air here, a victim struggling to stay alive. How many people had helped rescue and protect her, had kept her secrets? How many had risked their lives because they believed hers was worth more? because they believed she could grow to something powerful enough to stop Levana. Nerves scratching at her stomach, she followed Thorn back up into the hangar, making sure to close the hidden door behind them. As they walked back into the daylight, the house still towered eerily still and silent above a small garden. The rampion stood enormous and out of place in the fields. Thorn checked his port screen, and his voice was tight when he spoke. She hasn't moved since we got here. She didn't try to hide his stomping footsteps across the gravel. He pounded on the front door, every strike bouncing around the courtyard. They waited for the telltale footsteps within, but only the sound of chickens scratching in the yard greeted them. Thorn checked the knob and the door swung open, unlocked. Stepping into the foyer, Thorn peered up the wood-paneled stairway. To their right was a living room, filled with rugged furniture, to their left, a kitchen with a couple dirty plates left at the table. All the lights were off. Hello, Thorne called. Miss Benoit? Cinder called up a netlink and traced the signal to Michelle Benoit's ID chip. The signal is coming from upstairs, she whispered. The stairs groaned beneath the weight of her metal leg. Small screens lined the wall, alternating pictures of a middle aged woman, in a pilot uniform, and a girl with flaming red hair, though chubby and covered in freckles as a child, later pictures showed her quite stunning. And Thorn gave a low "Hello, Scarlet" as they passed. Miss Benoit, Cinder called again. Either the woman was a very deep sleeper, or they were about to stumble across something that Cinder was sure she didn't want to see. Her hand shook as she pushed open the first door off the stairs, preparing herself not to scream if she spotted a decaying body sprawled across the bed. But there was no body. The room was in upheaval, just as the hangar had been. Clothes and shoes, trinkets and blankets, but no human being. No corpse. Hello? Glancing around the room, Cinder spotted the vanity beside the window, and her heart fell. She paced to it and picked up the small chip and held it up for Thorn to see. What's that? He asked. Michelle Benoit, she said, sighing as she dismissed the net link. You mean, she's not here? Try to keep up, Cinder grumbled, and pushed past him into the hallway. She planted her fist on her hips and scanned the other closed door, no doubt another bedroom. The house was abandoned. Michelle Benoit wasn't here, and neither was her granddaughter. No one with any answers. How do we track a person who doesn't have an ID chip? Thorne said. We don't, she said. That's the whole point of removing it. We should talk to the neighbors. They might know something. Cinder groaned. We're not talking to anyone. We're still fugitives in case you've forgotten. She stared at the rotating pictures, Michel Benoit and a young Scarlet kneeling proudly beside a freshly planted vegetable bed. Come on, she said, dusting her hands as if she was the one who'd been digging in the dirt. Let's get out of here before the rampion attracts any attention. The floorboards clapped hollowly beneath her as she tromped down the stairs and rounded the first landing. The front door swung open, Cinder froze. A pretty girl with honey blonde curls froze in front of her. Her eyes widened, first with surprise, then recognition. They fell to Cinder's cyborg hand and the color drained from her cheeks. Bonjour, mademoiselle, said Thorn. The girl glanced up at him. Then her eyes rolled back into her head and she collapsed onto the tile floor. Chapter 33 Cinder cursed and glanced back at Thorn, but he only shrugged. She turned back to the fainted girl. Her head was bent at an awkward angle against an entry table, her feet splayed across the doorway. Is it her granddaughter? Cinder asked, even as her scanner was connecting the measurements of the girl's face to the database in her brain and coming up with nothing. Scarlet Benoit it would have recognized, Never mind, she said, an inch toward the girl's prone body. She nudged the table out of the way and the girl's head thumped onto the tiles. Creeping over, Cinder peered out the front door. A beat up hover sat in the courtyard. What are you doing? Said Thorn. Looking, Cinder turned around to see Thorn stepping into the foyer, eyeing the girl with mild curiosity. She seems to be alone. A wicked grin spread across his face. We should take her with us, Cinder glared. Are you crazy? Crazy in love? She's gorgeous. You're an idiot. Help me carry her into the living room. He made no argument, and a moment later, the girl was swooped up in his arms without Cinder's help. Here, on the couch, Cinder bustled ahead of him and rearranged a few faded pillows. I'm good like this. Thorn shifted his arms so the girl's head fell against his chest, her blonde curls clinging to the zipper of his leather jacket. Thorn, put her down, now. Muttering something to himself, he laid the girl down and meticulously arranged her shirt to cover her bare stomach and then moved down to more comfortably position her legs when Cinder grabbed him by the back of his collar and hauled him to his feet. Let's get out of here, She definitely recognized us. The moment she wakes up, she'll have a calm to the police. Thorne pulled a port screen out of his jacket pocket and handed it to Cinder. What's that? Her port? I took it off her while you were busy panicking. Cinder snatched the port screen away and shoved it into the side pocket of her military cargoes still it won't be long before she tells someone and if they come to investigate and realize we were looking for michelle benoit and then they'll be looking for michelle benoit and maybe i should disable her hover before we go i think we should stay and talk to her maybe she'll know where to find michelle stay and talk to her and give her even more leads about how to track us that's the stupidest thing i ever heard hey I liked my idea of bringing her along, but you already vetoed that idea, so now I'm resorting to plan B, which is to interrogate her. And I am really looking forward to it. I used to play a game called interrogation with one of my old girlfriends where we... That's enough! Cinder raised her hand, silencing him. This is a bad idea. I'm leaving now. You can stay here with your girlfriend if you like. She marched past him. Thorn stayed on her heels. Now that was definitely jealousy, I heard. A whimper stopped them both halfway to the door, and they turned to see the girl's eyelashes fluttering open. Cinder cursed again and tugged Thorn toward the entryway, but he didn't budge. After a moment, he peeled himself out of her grip and meandered back into the living room. Terror flashed over her face and she sat up, pushing herself against the arm of the sofa. Don't be alarmed, said Thorn. We're not going to hurt you. You're those people from the net screens, the fugitives, she said in an endearing European accent. She gaped at Cinder. You're the, the- Escaped lunar cyborg fugitive, Thorn offered. The last bit of color drained from the girl's face. Cinder prayed for patience. Are Are you going to kill me? No, 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 of course not. Thorn slid himself onto the other end of the sofa, We just want to ask you a few questions. The girl gulped. What's your name, love? She chewed on her lower lip, eyeing Thorn with a mixture of distrust and mild hope. Emily, she breathed, barely audible. Emily, a beautiful name for a beautiful girl. Fighting back the urge to gag, Cinder thumped her head against the doorframe. It brought the girl's attention back to her, and Emily shriveled away in fear again. Sorry, said Cinder, holding out both hands. "Uh, It's really nice to meet... Emily broke into hysterical crying. Her focus latched onto Cinder's metal hand. Please don't kill me. I won't tell anyone I saw you. I promise, just please don't kill me. Jaw-dropping, Cinder stared at the offensive limb for a second before realizing it wasn't her cyborg half that the girl was afraid of. It was the lunar in her. She glanced at Thorn, who was glaring accusations at her, before throwing her arms into the air. Fine, you take care of it, she said and marched out of the room. She sat down on the stairs where she could hear Thorn trying to calm the girl while keeping an eye on the road through the front window. She folded her elbows on top of her knees and listened to Thorn cooing and Emily's sobs and tried to rub away an oncoming headache. Once people had looked at her with revulsion, now people were terrified of her. She wasn't sure which was worse. She wanted to scream to the world that it wasn't her fault she was this way. She'd had nothing to do with it. It surely wouldn't have been her choice if one had been given to her. Lunar, cyborg, fugitive outlaw outcast cinder buried her face in her arms and urged the swirling injustices away she would not get carried away with self-loathing she had too many other things to worry about in the next room she could hear thorn mentioning michelle benoit pleading with the girl to tell him something anything useful but all he got back were blubbery apologies cinder sighed wishing there was some way she could convince the girl they meant no harm that they were in fact the good guys. Her body tensed. She could convince the girl of that, quite easily. Guilt flooded her veins a moment later, but it didn't quite dispel the temptation. She scanned the horizon, still seeing no sign of civilization beyond the fields. She folded her fingers together, debating. You do know Michel Benoit, don't you? Thorne said, his tone taking on an edge of pleading. I mean, you are in her house. This is her house, isn't it? Cinder massaged her thumbs over her temples. She was not like Queen Levana and her thaumaturges, and all the other lunars who abused this gift, brainwashed and cajoled and controlled others for their own selfish gains. But if controlling someone were for the greater good, and only for a short time... Emily, please stop crying. It's just a simple question, Really? Fine, Cinder muttered, pushing herself off the stairs. It's for her own good, after all. Taking in a breath to dispel the guilt, she stepped back into the living room. The girl's gaze whipped toward her, eyes puffed. She cowered away. Cinder forced herself to relax and let the gentle tingle slip down her nerves, thinking kind, friendly, welcoming thoughts. We're your friends, she said. We're here to help you. Emily's eyes brightened. Emily, can you tell us where Michelle Benoit is? A last tear slipped unnoticed down Emily's cheek. I don't know where she is. She disappeared three weeks ago. The police never found anything. Do you know anything about her disappearance? It happened in the middle of the day, when Scarling was out doing her deliveries. She didn't have a hover or a ship. She didn't seem to take any belongings with her. Her ID chip had been removed and left behind, along with her port screen. It took all of Cinder's focus to maintain the aura of friendliness and trust when disappointment started to settle in. But I think Scarlet may have known something. Cinder perked up. She was going to look for her. She left a couple days ago and asked me to watch the farm. It seemed she had some lead, but she didn't tell me what it was. I'm so sorry. Have you heard from Scarlet since? Asked Thorn, leaning forward. Emily shook her head. Nothing. I'm worried about her, but she's a tough girl. She'll be all right. Her expression brightened like a child's. Have I helped? I want to help. Cinder flinched at the girl's eagerness. Yes, you helped. Thank you. If you think of anything else. One more question, said Thorn, holding up a finger. Our ship is in need of some repairs. Are there any good parts stores nearby? Chapter 34 Scarlet's sleep was restless, filled with thaumaturges and prowling wolves. When she managed to pull herself from the daze, she saw that two trays of food had been left for her. Her stomach growled upon seeing them, but she ignored it. Instead, rolling over and curling up on the filthy mattress. Many years ago, someone had sketched their initials on the dressing room wall, and Scarlet traced her fingertips over them. Were they the work of a rising opera star in the second era, or a prisoner of war? Had they died in this room? She leaned her forehead against the cool plaster. The scanner beeped in the hallway, and the door clanked open. Scarlet rolled onto her back and froze. Wolf was standing in the doorway, having to duck his head to keep from hitting the frame. His eyes pierced through the darkness, but they were the only thing about him that hadn't changed. His once messy, spiky hair had been combed off his brow, making his handsome features appear too sharp, too cruel. He washed the dirt from his face and now wore the same uniform she'd seen on the other soldiers, a Marine's shirt and rune-decorated guards on his shoulders and forearms. A series of belts and sashes held empty holsters. She briefly wondered if Wolf preferred to fight without weaponry, or if he simply hadn't been allowed to bring any guns into her cell. She leaped off the bed, instantly regretting it as the world tilted beneath her and she had to brace herself against the wall. Wolf remained silent, watching, until their gazes clashed across the room, his dark and expressionless, hers growing more hateful, more angry by the second. Scarlet, a hint of struggle crossed his face. Her revulsion tore through her, and she screamed. She had no memory of crossing the room, but the crunch of her fists as they struck his jaw, his ear, his chest, thundered up her arms. He allowed her five strikes with nothing more than a grimace before stopping her. He caught her wrists mid-swing, holding them fast against his stomach. Scarlet reeled back and aimed her heel for his kneecap, but he whipped her around so fast she lost balance and found herself facing away from him, her arms locked in his grip. Let go of me, she screeched, aiming her foot for his toes, stomping and screaming and thrashing, But if she hurt him, he showed no sign of it. She craned her neck and snapped her teeth, though she had no hope of actually biting him. Instead, with a painful twist of her neck, she managed to land a gob of spit on his jaw. He flinched again, but didn't release her, didn't even look at her. You traitor, you bastard, let go of me. She lifted her knee for another backward kick when he obeyed, releasing her. She collapsed forward with a yelp. Scarlet scurried away, clenching her jaw. Her knees throbbed, and she had to use the wall to pull herself back to standing. She swung around to face him. Her stomach roiled as she was sure she would be sick with loathing and disgust and fury. What? she yelled. What do you want? Wolf scrubbed the spit from his chin with his wrist. I had to see you. Why, so you could gloat over what a fool you made me out to be? How easy it was to convince me that you- A shudder ripped through her. I can't believe I let you touch me. She squirmed, wiping her hands down her arms to dispel the memory. Go away, just leave me alone. Wolf didn't move and didn't speak again for a long time. Spinning away, Scarlet crossed her arms over her chest and glared at the wall, shaking. I lied to you about a lot of things, he finally said. She snorted, but I meant every apology. She scowled, seeing bright spots on the wall. I never wanted to lie to you, or frighten you, or- And I tried, in the train. Don't you dare, she faced him again, digging her nails into her arms to keep from lashing out and making an idiot of herself again. Don't you even think about bringing that up or trying to justify what you did to me, what your people have done to my grandmother. Scarlet, he took a step toward her, but she threw her hands up and backed away until her calves collided with the mattress. Don't come near me. I don't want to see you. I don't want to listen to you. I would rather die than ever be touched by you again. She saw a gulp straining against his throat. Hurt flashed across his face, but it only served to make her angrier. Wolf cast a glance toward the door, and Scarlet followed the look, noting that her usual guard was waiting outside, watching them, as if they were a popular drama on the net screens. Her stomach twisted. I'm sorry to hear that, Scarlet, Wolf said, turning back to her. His voice had lost the edge of regret and was all business and cruelty again. Because I didn't come to apologize. I came for something else. She straightened i don't care what you he was at her in a single stride his hands buried in her hair pressing her against the wall his mouth stifled her surprised cry and then an angry scream she tried to shove him off her but she'd have had no more luck against the iron bars on the door her eyes went wide as she felt his tongue and in a flash of rebellion she thought to bite him but then there was something else Something small and flat and hard being pressed into her mouth. Every muscle went taut. Wolf pulled away. His grip softened, cradling her head. His scars were a blur in her vision. She couldn't find her breath. And then he murmured. So quietly, she could barely catch the words, even as they steamed against her lips. Wait until morning, he said. The world won't be safe tonight. Wolf focused on his own fingers as they took a red curl between them. He flinched, as if touching her pained him. Indignation returning, Scarlet swiped him away and darted beneath his arms. She fled to the corner of the room and crouched down on the bed. Covering her mouth with one hand, she smashed the other against the wall for balance. She waited, her entire body aflame, until Wolf slinked out of the room. The bars opened and shut. Outside, the guard snickered. I suppose we all have our thing, he said, and then their footsteps padded down the corridor. Slumping against the wall, Scarlet spit the foreign object into her palm. A small ID chip winked up at her. Book Four The Better to Eat You With, My Dear Chapter 35 she's going to be fine you know cinder jumped startled from a reverie thorn was piloting the small pod ship into rio france and cinder was somewhat amazed they hadn't crashed and died yet who's going to be fine that emily girl you shouldn't feel bad about knocking her out with your lunar mind trick thing she'll probably be extra refreshed when she wakes up cinder screwed up her mouth Her thoughts had been so preoccupied with finding a power cell and making it back to Ico before anyone else showed up on the farm that she'd hardly thought of the blonde girl they'd left behind. Oddly enough, once she'd made the decision to glamour the girl into trusting them, all the doubt and guilt she'd felt about it had faded away. It had seemed so natural, so easy, so clearly the right thing to do. The ease of it frightened her more than the lack of guilt. If it was so natural for her, after only a few days of practicing her new gift, how could she ever survive against a thaumaturge, or the queen herself? I just hope we're long gone before she wakes up, she muttered, returning her focus to the window. Cinder redid her ponytail in the ghost reflection. She could vaguely make out her brown eyes and plain features. She tilted her head, wondering what she looked like with her glamour. She would never know, of course-mirrors couldn't be fooled by glamours-but Thorn had sure seemed impressed. And, Kai, you're even more painful to look at than she is." His words made her whole body feel heavy. The town came into focus beneath them, and Thorn made a too fast descent. Jolting, Cinder grabbed for the harness around her waist. Thorn straightened the ship and coughed. There was a gust of wind. Sure there was. She let her head fall against the rest. You're extra gloomy today, Thorn said, nicking her chin. Cheer up. We may not have found Michelle Benoit, but now we know for sure that she housed the princess. This is good. This is progress. We found a ransacked house and were identified by the first civilian who spotted us. Yeah, because we're famous. He sang the word with a certain measure of pride. When Cinder rolled her eyes, he nudged her in the arm. Oh, come on, it could be worse. She quirked an eyebrow at him, and his grin broadened. At least we have each other. He held out his arms, like he would have given her a huge hug if they hadn't been strapped into their seats. The nose of the ship tipped to the right, and he quickly grasped the controls again, leveling it out just in time to dodge a flock of pigeons. Cinder covered a laugh with her metal hand. It wasn't until Thorn had landed, crookedly, on a cobblestone side street that Cinder began to realize what a bad idea this was. But they didn't have a choice. They needed a new power cell if they wanted to get the Rampian back into space. People are going to see us, she said, glancing around as she emerged from the pod ship. The street was empty, serenely overshadowed by centuries-old stone buildings and silver-leafed maples but the tranquility did nothing to quell her nerves. And you are going to pull your very handy brainwashing magic on all of them, and they won't even know they're seeing us. Well, I mean, I guess they'll still see us, they just won't recognize us. Or, hey, can you make us invisible? Because that would come in handy. Cinder stuffed her hands into her pockets. I don't know if I'm ready to trick a whole town, Besides, I don't like doing it. It makes me feel... evil. She knew if her internal lie detector could see her, it would have recognized a lie. It felt all too right, and maybe that's what felt so horrendously wrong about it. Blue eyes twinkling, Thorn hooked his thumbs behind his belt. He looked slightly ridiculous in his fancy leather jacket in this quaint rural town. And yet... He had the swagger of a man who belonged there, who belonged anywhere he wished to. You might be a crazy lunar, but you're not evil. As long as you're using your glamour to help people, and more important, to help me, then there's nothing to feel guilty about. He stopped to check his hair in the dirty window of a shoe store while Cinder gawked after him. I hope that wasn't your idea of a pep talk. Smirking, he jerked his head toward the next door. Here we are, he said, pushing open a creaking wooden door. The hollow sound of digital bells greeted them, meshed with the smell of engine grease and burnt rubber. Cinder sucked in the scent of home, mechanics, machinery. This is where she belonged. Though the shop had seemed prettily charming from outside, with its stone facade and aged wooden sills. She could see now that it was enormous, stretching back the length of the town block. Near the front, towering metal shelves held replacement parts for androids and screens. Toward the back, Cinder could make out parts for the bigger machines, hovers and tractors and ships. Perfect, she muttered, heading toward the back wall. They passed a young, acne-faced clerk sitting behind a work table. And though Cinder instantly called up her glamour, disguising her and Thorn as the first thing that came to mind, dirty, grungy farm hands, she doubted the ploy was necessary. The boy didn't even bother with a polite nod, his attention fixed on a port screen that emanated the upbeat tune of a game map. Cinder rounded the aisle of power converters and spotted a boulder of a man leaning against an engine lift, the only other customer in the store. His attention was focused on picking at his nails instead of browsing the shelves, and when he met Cinder's gaze, it was with a taunting smirk. Shoving her metal hand into her pocket, Cinder found the vibrations of his thoughts in the air and twisted them away. You are not interested in us. But his smile only widened, sending a chill down her back. When he turned away a moment later, Cinder crept into the aisle, Her attention divided between maintaining the glamour and scouring the mismashed parts until she found the power cell they'd come for. She snatched it off the shelf, gasping at its weight, and hurried back toward the front. Thorn exhaled as soon as they were out of the stranger's sight. He scared me, Cinder nodded. You should go start the pod ship, in case we need to make a quick getaway. She dropped the power cell onto the clerk's desk with a thunk. The clerk didn't bother to look up, one hand still playing the game single-thumbed while the other held the scanner out to Cinder. The red laser flickered across the counter. Dread settled in Cinder's stomach. Um... The kid managed to pull his attention away from the game and gave her an irritated glare. Cinder gulped. Neither of them had an ID chip or any means of paying. Could she glamour her way out of that? She imagined Lavana probably wouldn't have had any trouble. Before she could speak, something sparkly dangled in the corner of her eye. Will this cover it? Said Thorn, holding out a gold-plated digital port screen watch. Cinder recognized it as the one Alec had been wearing, the man who owned the spaceship hangar in New Beijing. Thorn, she hissed. This isn't a pawn shop, said the boy, dropping the scanner gun onto the counter. Can you pay or not? Cinder glared at Thorn, but then spotted the strange man plodding out of the aisle near the back of the shop. Strolling toward them, he whistled a chirpy tune, then pulled a pair of thick work gloves out of one pocket and made a big show of pulling one onto his left hand. Heart hammering, Cinder turned back to the kid. You want the watch, she said. It's a fine trade for this power cell, and you're not going to report us for taking it. The kid's eyes glazed over. He'd just started to nod when Thorne deposited the watch into his palm, and Cinder grabbed the power cell off the counter. They marched out the door, leaving the ringing of fake bells behind them. No more stealing, she said as Thorne fell into step beside her. Hey, that watch saved us in there. No, I saved us in there, and in case you already forgot, that is exactly the kind of mental trick that I don't want to pull on people. Even if it saves your skin? Yes! A light flashed in Cinder's eye, indicating an incoming calm. A moment later, words began tracking across her vision. We've been detected. Police. We'll keep them out as long as possible. She stumbled in the middle of the street. What? said Thorne. It's Ico, the police have found the ship. Thorne paled. No time to shop for new clothes then. Or an android body, come on. She took off running, Thorn keeping step, until they spun around the corner and both skidded to a halt. Two policemen stood between them and their pod ship, one comparing the ship's model with something on his port screen. Something beeped on the other officer's belt. As he reached for it, Cinder and Thorne backed away, ducking around the building. Pulse racing, Cinder glanced up at Thorn, but he was scanning the nearest window. Rio Tavern was painted off center on the glass. Here, he said, dragging her around two wrought iron tables and through the door. The tavern stank of booze and fried fat, and was thrumming with sports on the net screens and uproarious laughter. Cinder took two steps inside, her breath caught, and she spun around to leave. Thorn blocked her path with an outstretched arm. Where are you going? There are too many people. We'll have better luck with the police. She pushed him away but froze when she spotted a green hover easing onto the cobblestones outside, the emblem of the Eastern Commonwealth military painted on its side. Thorn! His arm stiffened, and then the tavern seemed to quiet. Cinder slowly faced the crowd. Dozens of strangers gaping at her, a cyborg. Stars, she whispered. I need to find a new pair of gloves. No, you need to calm down and start using your brainwave witchery thing. Cinder drew closer to Thorn and swallowed her growing panic. We belong here, she murmured. Sweat beaded on the back of her neck, dripping down her spine. "'We're not suspicious. You don't recognize us. You have no interest or curiosity, or—' She trailed off as the attention of people around the room began to drift back to their food and drinks and the net screens behind the bar. Cinder continued the mindless chanting in her head, "'We belong here. We are not suspicious,' until the statements blurred together into a sensation of invisibility. They weren't suspicious.' they did belong here. She forced herself to believe it. Scanning the crowd, she saw that only one set of eyes was still on her, vibrant blue and filled with laughter. He was a muscular man sitting at a table near the back, a smile playing on his mouth. When Cinder's gaze held his, he sat back and lifted his attention to the screens. Come on then, said Thorn, guiding her toward an open booth. The sound of the door creaking behind them sent Cinder's stomach heaving like a dying motor. They slid into the booth. This was a bad idea, she whispered, tucking the power cell beside her on the bench. Thorn said nothing, both of them bending their necks over the table as three red uniforms brushed past. A scanner beeped, sending Cinder's pulse thrumming against her temples, and the last officer paused. With her cyborg hand beneath the table, Cinder deftly opened the barrel of her embedded tranquilizer gun, the first time she'd engaged that finger since Dr. Erland had given her the hand. The officer remained beside their booth, and Cinder forced herself to turn toward him, thinking, Innocence, normal, indistinguishable from anyone else. The officer was holding a port screen with a built-in ID scanner. Cinder gulped and looked up. He was young, perhaps in his early twenties, and his face was contorted in confusion. Is there a problem, monsieur? She said, sickened to hear her own voice come out as saccharine sweet, as she'd once heard Queen Lavana's. His eyes blinked wildly. The attention of the other officers, one man and one woman, was captured too, and Cinder could see them hovering nearby. Heat spread out from the base of her neck, creeping uncomfortably down her limbs. She clenched her fists. The wash of energy in the room was pulsing, almost visible. Her optobionics were beginning to panic, sending concerned warnings about hormones and chemical imbalances across her eyesight. And all the while, she desperately grasped for control over her lunar gift. I am invisible. I am unimportant. You do not recognize me. Please don't recognize me. Officer? You are, um, his eyes darted from the port to her face, and he shook his head to dispel the cobwebs. We're looking for someone, and this says, you wouldn't happen to, everyone was watching now. The waitresses, the customers, the eerie guy with the stormy eyes. No amount of internal pleading could make her invisible when a military officer from another country was speaking to her. She was becoming dizzy with the effort of it. Her body was warming, sweat beating on her brow. She gulped. Is everything all right, officer? His brow drew together. We're looking for a girl, a teenager from the Eastern Commonwealth. You wouldn't happen to be Lynn. Cinder raised her eyebrows, feigning ignorance. Peony? Chapter 36 Cinder's smile froze to her face. Peony's name was like a stone on her chest, pressing the air out of her lungs as memories fell across her vision. Peony scared and alone in the quarantines, Peony dying with the antidote still in Cinder's hand. The pain was instant, fire ripping through her muscles. Cinder cried out and gripped the table, nearly falling out of the booth. The officer stumbled back, and his female comrade yelled, It's her! Cinder felt the table being shoved toward her as Thorn jumped up. It took a moment for the burning to dwindle. The taste of salt lingered on her tongue, and someone screamed, and in the muddle of her brain, she heard chair and table legs screeching across the floor. The woman's voice, Lynn Cinder, we are taking you into custody! Red text flashed across her retina. Internal temperature above recommended control temp. If cool-down procedure does not engage, automatic shutdown will occur in one minute. Lynn Cinder, slowly place your hands on top of your head. Do not make any sudden movements. She blinked past the bright fog in her vision, barely making out the officer with a gun pointed at her forehead. Behind her, Thorn was swinging a punch at the nose of the young man with the port, who ducked, then swung back. The third officer had his gun on the two men as they collapsed in a brawl onto a nearby table. Cinder took a deep breath, glad that only a residue of the pain lingered beneath her skin. 50 seconds until automatic, she released the breath slowly. Shut down, countdown paused, temperatures dropping, cool down procedure engaged. Lynn Cinder The woman said again, put your hands on top of your head. I have been authorized to shoot to kill if necessary. She forgot that one of her fingertips was open, ready with a dart as it passed her gaze. Slowly come out of the booth and turn around, the woman stepped away to allow Cinder room to maneuver. Behind her, Thorn grunted as a punch collided with his stomach, and he slumped over. Cinder recoiled at the sound. But did as she was told, waiting for her guts to stop churning, for the weakness to pass. She tried to prepare her brain for the attempt, knowing she would only get one more chance at it. She stood from the booth, just as they were ratcheting handcuffs around Thorn's wrists. Cinder turned around. From the corner of her eye, she saw the officer reach for her belt. You don't want to do that, Cinder said again cringing at the lovely serenity of her own voice. You want to let us go? The officer paused and stared at her with hollow eyes. You want to let us go? The command was directed at all the officers, at everyone in the tavern, even the frightened patrons who had pushed themselves against the back wall. Cinder's head buzzed with the return of strength and control and power. You want to let us go? The female officer dropped her arms to her sides. We want to let you. A guttural cry ricocheted across the tavern. Beyond the officer, the man with the blue eyes moved to stand, but then collapsed over his table. The table legs snapped from the weight, and he crashed to the floor. The other customers pulled away from him. Everyone's attention diverted cinder glanced at thorn who was watching the spectacle with his hands locked behind his back the stranger snarled he was crouching down on all fours saliva dripping from his mouth beneath dark eyebrows his eyes had taken on an eerie luminescence and a crazed bloodthirsty expression that twisted cinder's stomach he curled his fingers pulling his nails across the hard floor and peered up at the terrified faces surrounding him A growl rolled up from his throat, and his lips curled, revealing teeth that came to a fine point, more canine than human. Cinder pressed herself against the bench. Sure, her momentary meltdown had fried something, that her optobionics were sending crossed messages to her brain. But her vision didn't clear. In unison, the military officers rounded their guns on the man, but he showed no concern. He seemed pleased at the horrified cries the way the crowd surged away from him he lunged for the nearest officer before he could pull the trigger his hands wrapped around the officer's head a loud snap and the officer fell lifeless to the ground it happened so fast every movement a blur screaming filled the tavern there was a stampede for the door customers struggling over the crash tables and chairs ignoring the crowd the man smirked at cinder She stumbled back into the booth, trembling. Hello, little girl, he said, his voice too human-like, too restrained. I believe my queen has been looking for you. He leapt for her. Cinder pulled back, unable to scream. The female officer jumped between them, facing Cinder. Her arms spread wide out in protection, her face completely, entirely blank, Her lifeless eyes peered down at Cinder. Even as the man howled with rage and grabbed her from behind, he wrapped one arm around her head, yanking her back and sinking his fangs into her throat. She didn't scream, didn't fight. A bloodied gurgle erupted from her mouth. A gun fired. The crazed man roared and picked up the officer, swinging her around like a dog would a toy and tossing her halfway across the tavern. She crumpled to the ground as another shot rang out, catching the man in the shoulder. Bellowing, he whipped forward, snatching the gun away from the remaining officer with one hand. He swiped with the other. His fingers curled into a claw that left four red gashes on the officer's face. Heart hammering, Cinder gaped down at the woman as the life drained out of her eyes. Her gasps stuck in her throat. Her heart was pounding so hard it was sure to break out of her chest. White spots specked her vision. She couldn't breathe. Cinder! She searched the room, dazed, and found Thorn scrambling out from behind a toppled table, with his hands still latched behind his back. He collapsed to his knees beside the bench. Come on, the cuffs! Her lungs burned, her eyes stung. She was hyperventilating. I... I killed her! She stammered. What? I killed... She was... This is not the time to go crazy, Cinder. You don't understand. It was me. I... Thorne threw himself at her, his forehead hitting hers so hard she yelped and fell back onto the bench. Pull yourself together and help me unlock these things. She grabbed onto the table and hauled herself back up. Headaching, she blinked at Thorne, then at the officer who lay slumped against the wall, neck dangling at an odd angle. Her brain struggling to grasp on to reality, she lurched forward, dragging thorn with her through the toppled chairs crouching beside the first fallen officer she grabbed his arm and held up his wrist thorn twisted his hands toward her and the cuffs blinked and fell open cinder dropped the limp hand and stood she bolted for the door but something grabbed her ponytail and hauled her backward she cried out falling onto a table glass bottles shattered beneath her water and alcohol soaking into the back of her shirt the crazed man hovered over her, leering. Blood was dripping out from his lips and bullet wounds, but he hardly seemed to notice. Cinder tried to scramble backward, but she slipped, a shard of glass slicing through her palm. She gasped. I would ask what brought you to little Rio of France, but I think I already know. He smiled, but it was haunting and unnatural, with the jutting canine slicked with blood. So sad for you that we found the old lady first, and now my pack has you both. I wonder what my reward will be when I bring your leftover pieces to my queen in a plastic box. Thorn roared and heaved a chair upward, breaking it over the man's back. The man spun around and Cinder used the distraction to roll off the table. She collapsed to the floor, looking up just as the man buried his teeth in Thorn's arm. A scream. Thorn, the man pulled away, chin dripping with blood, and let Thorn collapse to his knees. His eyes glinted. Your turn. He took two sauntering steps toward her. Cinder upended the table, creating a blockade between them, but he kicked it aside with a laugh. Standing, she raised her hand and fired a tranquilizer dart into his chest. He snarled and yanked the dart out like a minor annoyance cinder backed away tripping over a fallen chair she cried out and collapsed backward onto the warm unmoving body of the officer who had managed to get off two useless bullets the man grinned sickeningly then paused again paling his cruel smile vanished and with one more step he crashed face first onto the ground cinder stared stomach in knots at his still form amid the wreckage When he didn't move, she dared to glance at the dead officer whose blood was leaking onto her collarbone. Rolling off him, she grabbed the gun that had been tossed onto the floor and shoved herself back to her feet. She seized Thorn's elbow and stuffed the gun into his hand. He moaned in pain but didn't fight her as she hauled him to his feet and shoved him toward the door. Rushing back to the booth, Cinder tucked the power cell under her arm before running after him. The street was chaos, people screaming and barreling out of the buildings and crying hysterically. Cinder spotted the two policemen who had been inspecting the pod ship, trying to direct a fleeing crowd. A window shattered as a man threw himself through the glass, the creepy man from the part store, and tackled one of the police in the same movement. His jaws latched on to the officer's neck. Nausea welled up in Cinder as the maniac released the officer and turned his bloodied face up to the sky. He howled, a long, proud, ominous howl. Cinder's dart caught him in the neck, silencing him. He had time to turn his glower on her before he collapsed onto his side. It didn't seem to matter. As Cinder and Thorn ran for their abandoned pod ship, the man's howl was picked up by another, and another, half a dozen unearthly calls being sent up in every direction to greet the rising moon. Chapter 37 What was that? Thorn yelled as he peeled the pod ship off the street. Flying lower and much faster than regulations suggested, they fled over the patchwork of crops that surrounded the town of Rieux cinder shook her head still panting they were lunar he mentioned his queen thorn slammed his palm down on the pod ship's control board cursing i know lunars are supposed to have some screws loose no offense but those men were psychotic he practically gnawed off my arm and this is my favorite jacket cinder glanced over at thorn but his injured shoulder was the one turned away from her She could, however, make out a red welt where he'd pounded his forehead into hers in order to snap her from her delirium. She pressed her cool metal fingers to her own forehead, which was starting to throb, and noticed a skein of text in her vision that she'd been too terrified and distracted to notice before. Where are you? Iko's panicking. Thorn swerved around an abandoned tractor. I forgot about the police. Is my ship all right? Hold on! Sick to her stomach at the swerving, Cinder gripped her harness and called up a new calm. On our way. Are the police still there? Ico's response was almost instantaneous. No. They stuck a tracking device to the bottom of the ship and left. Something about a disturbance in Ria. I'm looking at the net screens now. Cinder, are you seeing this? She gulped, but didn't answer. The police are gone. They left a tracker. Well, that's predictable. Thorn swooped down, catching the tip of a windmill on the landing gear. Cinder saw the rampion only a few miles off, a large gray splotch amid the crops, barely discernible in the night. Ico, open the pod ship dock. By the time the pod dipped toward the rampion, the dock was wide open. Cinder squeezed her eyes shut, bracing herself against the seat as Thorn dove toward it too fast, but he released the thrusters just in time, and soon they were coming to a very rocky, sudden stop. The pod ship shuddered and died. Cinder had tumbled out of the side door before the lights faded. Iko, where's the tracker? Star Cinder, where have you been? What is going on out there? No time, the tracker. It's under the starboard landing gear. I'll get it, said Thorn, marching toward the wide open doors. Iko, seal the dock as soon as I'm out. Then, open the main hatch. Cinder, get that power cell installed. He jumped down off the dock, and Cinder heard a squelch of mud when he landed. A moment later, the interlocking doors began to slide shut. Wait! The doors froze, leaving a space not larger than Cinder's pounding head between them. What? cried Iko. I thought he was out. Did I crush him? No, no, he's fine. I just have to do something. Chewing on her lip, she knelt on one knee. Yanking her pant leg up, she unlatched the compartment to her prosthetic leg and found two small chips lodged in the mess of bundled wires. The direct communication chip glittering with its peculiar iridescence, and Peony's ID chip, still caked with dried blood. Those officers had tracked her through Peony's chip, and she wouldn't have been surprised if Lavana's minions had found her the same way. I'm so stupid, she muttered, prying the chip loose, her heart suddenly clamped up, but she did her best to ignore it as she brushed a quick kiss against the ID chip and threw it out into the field. It glinted once with moonlight before vanishing in the dark. All right, you can close the doors now. As the doors clanged shut, she threw herself toward the pod ship and pulled the power cell off the floorboard. The engine room glowed with red emergency lights, Her retina display had already pulled up the plans by the time she slithered on her stomach to the ship's exterior corner and unbolted the old power cell. When she yanked it free, the whole ship went black. She cursed to herself. Cinder, came Thorne's distraught scream from somewhere overhead. Cinder flicked on her flashlight and tore off the protective packaging on the new cell, her breaths coming in short, panicked gasps. It didn't take long for the engine room to grow stifling hot without the cooling system. She plugged a cable into the cell's outlet, then bolted it to the engine. Already she was forgetting how she'd ever managed to survive without the screwdriver in her new hand, as she secured the cell to the wall. The overlaid blueprint on her vision zoomed in as she connected the delicate wires. Gulping, she punched the restart code into the mainframe. The engine hummed, grew louder, and soon purred like a contented cat. The red lights flickered back on and were just as quickly replaced with bright whites. Iko? The response was almost instantaneous. What just happened? Why won't anyone tell me what's going on? Exhaling, Cinder dropped to her stomach and wriggled back toward the door. She grasped the ladder rungs that led to the ship's main level, calling out, Ready for takeoff! No sooner had the words left than the combustors flared beneath her and the ship lurched up off the ground. Cinder screamed and grasped the ladder, clinging tight to it as the rampion hovered momentarily before shooting up into the sky, away from the destruction happening in Michel Benoit's beautiful hometown. When they'd entered orbit again, Cinder found Thorn in the cockpit, slumped in his chair, with both arms draped toward the floor. We should clean our wounds, she said, seeing the dark spot of blood on his shoulder. Thorn nodded without facing her. Yeah, I definitely don't want to catch whatever he had. Her right leg shaking under her own weight, Cinder made her way awkwardly into the medbay, grateful she'd had the forethought to clear the crates away from it, and found an assortment of bandages and ointments. Nice takeoff back there, she said when she joined Thorn in the cockpit captain he grunted sulking as cinder used her embedded knife to cut open his sticky sleeve how does it feel she asked examining the bite marks on his arm like i was bit by a feral dog are you lightheaded woozy you lost a lot of blood i'm fine he said glowering pretty upset about my jacket it could have been a lot worse she ripped off a long band of medical tape I could have used you as a human shield like that officer. Her voice hiccuped on the last word. A headache was coming on, starting in her desert dry eyes as she wrapped a bandage around Thorn's arm and taped it. What happened? She shook her head and peered down at the gash in her palm. I don't know, she said, awkwardly wrapping the tape around it too. Cinder. I didn't mean to. She slumped back in her own chair. She felt sick, remembering the dead, blank stare of the woman as she put herself between Cinder and that man. I just panicked, and the next thing I knew, she was there, in front of me. I didn't even think. I didn't even try. It just happened. She shoved herself out of the chair and marched out into the cargo bay, needing room to breathe, to move, to think. This is exactly what I was talking about. Having this gift, it's turning me into a monster, just like those men, just like Levana. She rubbed her temples, biting back her next confession. Maybe it wasn't just being Lunar. Maybe it ran in her blood. Maybe she was just like her aunt, just like her mother, who had been no better. Or maybe, Thorn said, it was an accident, and you're still learning. An accident, she spun around. I killed a woman. Thorn held up a finger. No, that blood-sucking, howling wolf man killed her. Cinder, you are scared. You didn't know what you were doing. He was coming after me, and I just used her. And you think he would have left the rest of us alone once he had you? Cinder clamped her jaw shut, stomach still churning. I get that you feel like it was your fault, but let's try to put some of the blame where it belongs here. Cinder frowned at Thorn, but she was seeing that man again with his haunting blue eyes and sick smile. They have Michel Benoit, she shuddered. And that's my fault, too. They were looking for me. Now what are you rambling on about? He knew that's why we came to Rieux, but he said they'd already found her, the old lady, he said. But they only came after her because they're trying to find me. Thorn pulled a palm down his face. Cinder, you're being delusional. Michelle Benoit housed Princess Celine. If they tracked her down, that's why. It has nothing to do with you. She gulped, her entire body shaking. She might still be alive. We have to try and find her. Since neither of you will tell me anything said Iko, her voice taut. I'll just have to guess. Were you by chance attacked by men who fought like starved wild animals? Thorn and Cinder traded glances. Cinder noticed that the cargo bay had grown abnormally warm during her tirade. Good guess, said Thorn. They're talking about it all over the news feeds, said Aiko. It's not just in France. It's happening all over the world. Every country in the Union... Earth is under attack.